welcome to the Bronovo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of the Bronovo Podcast for 2023. Today, we're going to look back on some memorable moments from conversations we had last year. First up, all the way back in January of 2022, from episode 38 with Dr. Deb Miller, we have a clip where Dr. Miller and I are talking about the possibility of redemption for someone who cheated. So Dr. Miller is a professional counselor who's worked in private practice for nearly 30 years, and she wrote a book about deepening one's apology after committing infidelity. The really interesting and rich conversation talking about the differences between emotional and physical cheating and how to define an unhealthy relationship and things like being truly present and emotionally available, how to make those terms become more clear. A very interesting and really dynamite conversation with that with it. Yeah, I mean, I think it gets to a, a stereotype that we all have. You know, we want to condemn the cheater, and you know, right? They they messed up. They they hurt someone. They chose a path that um, probably didn't align with their own moral code, as well as um, was a horrible secret that that left scars, probably for the people around them. But that also implies that they're never going to get better. That they never can fix it. That they can never make change. And so hopefully buried in this book is not buried, but um, highlighted in this book is the fact that you can find redemption. You can find repair. Um, but as far as following the audience for your Bro Nouveau, it's, it's suggesting that, you know, it's, it's fighting any stereotype about, again, I'm sorry. I just going to say, I'm sorry. Let's not talk about it anymore. About being open, being vulnerable, being, um, allowing your raw self to show as well as seeking help from other people. Um, because it is a, a shame game, certainly. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. And like addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the thing that would happen with just saying sorry and kind of not yeah, exposing the raw self, as you said, is that for the person who was hurt, then they can't understand. You know, I would imagine that the person who is hurt wants to know why. Really, truly tell me why. And, you know, give the person who was hurt the full information so they can make a decision about moving forward. Because rather than just saying, honey, I'm so sorry, it was a mistake, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's almost like... you know, I could I could see in that situation, say it's like a long-term partnership situation where somebody cheats and then they are discovered. And instead of kind of deepening the shame or making it worse and, and acknowledging, you know what, hey, I think actually I'm, I'm deeply unhappy or there are things about this other person that I like a lot, you know, instead of being honest and like being brave to admit that, kind of doubling down on the no no it was a mistake and then it's like well you're perpetuating 
unhappiness for both of you in the future too, because of uh, ego. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the challenge is when we want to say I'm sorry, we're trying to first of all push away our own flaws, push away our own sin, but we're also trying to protect the person we hurt from knowing more. So the fear is if I talk to you more about what I did wrong, um, then that's going to give you more uh, pain. That's going to induce more memories, um, flashbacks. You know, it's going to be like rubbing salt in the wound. And so there is a challenge on how to explore what happened because most people I met have not told their affair story. Yeah, I cheated, and but, you know, to really push them, like, well, how many times, you know, because there's the what, what happened that that a lot of the time the wounded person wants to know, which may or may not be helpful. I mean, it's helpful for a while, but after a while, it's like, you don't need to know what hotel room was used and, you know, which car you drove. I mean, it, some of that detail is, is just creating a stronger image of pain. Um, but back to what you said about why, and that is what the wounded person just doesn't get why, you know, and, and that answer to why isn't a black, white answer. In other words, my answer today of why I chose to hurt you or why I chose to have a secret relationship would be different perhaps a month from now or two years from now, when I've really learned more about myself, been able to look back at what happened differently. And so that's the courage also to keep, asking yourself why, as well as attempting to answer it. Next up, we travel to episode 49 from April of 2022 with Dr. Eddie Cavarucci. Dr. Cavarucci is a therapist who specializes in treating problematic sexual behaviors, including pornography, addiction, I asked Dr. Caparucci about why pornography is a blight and his argument to men specifically about why they should avoid pornography for their own sex lives and their own mental health. The, the thing is this, that there are, there are many. Mm-hmm. And let, let, me, let me put this one out there first. Okay? We are starting to see uh, this is this is this is something that we've never seen before, but we're starting to see it now. That men, and I'm calling them men, but anywhere from age 19 to 28, 30, an incredible increase in the incidence of erectile dysfunction. These men who grew up with pornography and chronic masturbation are now having problems engaging in sex with real women. Mm-hmm. And if for, if for a number of reasons, one, the level of stimulation that a real woman creates, which should be intense and high, just doesn't do it. Because porn, which is not real sex in many cases, okay, it is just about... Because what is real sex? God designed sex to one, the procreation of children, and two, for us to be able to use that to strengthen our bond of emotional intimacy. 
When it comes to porn, there's no emotional intimacy. Porn, porn is just about lust. Porn is about the act. It's about, you know, again, they said the money shot. Okay, that's what it's about. And what we're seeing in pornography now, okay, I don't know. That, that, was a, that, was a, that was a clean way of saying it, right? Um, but what, what, what we're talking about now, all right, porn is becoming so violent. It is becoming, it is it be, it's showing the women being abused, being humiliated, being degrading, degraded. And why? Because as one porn producer says, that's what men want. That's what they're looking for. So we're giving them what they want with this. So you go back to the idea of what the problem, one, like we said, we're teaching young boys it's okay to objectify young girls. And we're teaching young girls it's okay to be objectified. So porn, that's what it does. Porn doesn't show you people. Porn shows you objects. So therefore, we go out and we look at women and we treat them like objects. Then, as I said before, we have the whole erectile dysfunction. But then we also have the idea of, you know, women involved in pornography. You know, I've, I've had the guys, and there are many, by the way, who think there's nothing wrong with porn. But they're like, well, you know what? They really want it. They have high sex drive and they just want, they love doing this. And it's a great way for them to make money. And I say, okay, so you know what? Answer this question for me. Simple question. Answer it. Tell me about the time you met that 12-year-old girl and you said to her, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And she said, well, I think I want to take my clothes off in front of a camera and have sex with strange men and women. Next up, from the same month, April 2022, we have episode 51 with Javon Wooden. Javon is a military veteran turned coach who also has a career in information security. In this conversation, uh, he had a really nice line about difficult conversations, why they're valuable, and what we can learn about ourselves and other people by having those challenging conversations. Those tough conversations really help build relationships. Um, a lot of people tend to avoid those, but those really are the ones that, that fortify the relationships, I feel. I feel like the, the ones that, you know, you feel a little weird, you know, bringing it up. Uh, those are the ones that really say, you know, we're not just on the surface here with this. This is deeper and we're building this connection where there are no secrets here. There are no reasons why we need to hide who we are. Um, we're really talking about, you know, the essence of us, the essence of our being, why we make certain decisions. Um, I think it's just very important to have those conversations, uh, no matter what level a relationship is. You know, if you have a question, if you have a feeling, if something, you know, just didn't align with it, you let people know because you never know what that conversation may lead to. Next up from June of 2022, we have a clip here from episode 58 with Kamaka Diaz. Kamaka is the host of the Hawaiiverse podcast. And after <laughs> the first minute of the show, uh, Kamaka informed me that I had pronounced his name wrong, which of course was very embarrassing. 
and I was stressed about it and and my girlfriend and I still joke about it to the to this day about how uh <laughs> how bad uh, beat that was but anyway Kamaka was cool and here in this clip he speaks about the interesting and uh paradoxical nature of the concept of identity for native Hawaiians who find themselves in the United States but separate from the United States culturally and of course geographically there's a honestly there's a huge difference between like us here and mainland america you know the continent the culture is totally different so it's i mean some people don't even realize that but he's part of america and i would go to uh, other places and you know i'll talk to people and you know some people (laughs) didn't really like america so i always had like a like a scapegoat like oh no i'm from hawaii uh, we're not part of America, so then they automatically, <laughs> especially you know when like political stuff are going on, and you know all these um, what is like tragic events. But yeah, I there there are people who say we are not American, we are Hawaiian, and they and it's valid. It's it's totally valid. Um, but I, I for me personally. You know, this is the hand we were dealt. Like we, and especially because I worked for the American government in the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a, a weird, you know, struggle, internal struggle for me. Because I was supposed to, in the Peace Corps, you're supposed to promote American culture to the host country nationals. And I know I was in a foreign country trying to promote American culture when American culture was still foreign to me. Because Hawaiian culture, the local culture here is so different than what we, you know, you guys have on the continent. You know, if you, if you come here, I mean, we're a, more influenced by Japanese culture. You know, we take off our slippers, you know, we eat rice, you know, we respect our elders. We do certain things that, you know, aren't necessarily American, but because we're still under the scope of America, I think we're just automatically tied in. But I think people just need to realize that, you know, all, you know, being American or living in America as a person in Hawaii, it doesn't equate to national or like um, ethnicity. You know, like I'm not I'm American by citizenship, you know, by nationality, because we, you know, technically we're in America. But everything I do, I wouldn't consider it to be American. You know, my culture is Hawaiian. I'm proud to be Hawaiian. When I hear the national anthem, I, you know, I don't feel patriotism. When I hear the Hawaiian national anthem, when I hear the chants and the song, that's when I feel pride. So I think there's a lot of people who are like that, a little bit more radical, you know, extremist, a little bit, you know, then there's some people who, you know, don't even care. It's like, well, you know, you drive American cars, you eat American food, or you do all this stuff, but you're saying you're not American. And so there's, there's this huge internal conflict, you know, between people here. And it's, it's ongoing, you know, and uh, it's, yeah, I, I love talking about this and um, I don't think this <laughs> topic will ever end. I don't think there's a right answer. I don't think there's a wrong answer. Mm-hmm. There's just different opinions, different perspectives to it. Next up from August, we have episode 66 with Dr. Antron. Dr. Ann is an MD who specializes in assisting men with erectile dysfunction, and she strongly encourages her patients to avoid 
using erectile dysfunction medication and instead look at the lifestyle factors impacting their erectile dysfunction. And, you know, Viagra and Cialis and ED medicine are so common that, you know, a man wouldn't think twice about taking the medication uh, because he's not getting firm enough. So my passion and my mission is to say, stop, don't take those medications. If you're starting to notice that you're not, you know, performing as you used to, you're not getting a firm erection, take a step backwards. Let's reflect upon what are you eating? What's your exercise regimen? What's your weight? Are you smoking? You're sleeping? What's your alcohol intake? Right? Those are the things that you can kind of take a step back and just really introspective look and look at what you're you're doing before you get that little blue pill because once you take that little blue pill it's i call it going down the black hole and making the deal with the devil uh because viagra will give you a a a firm erection but it, it in the long run you you you're not winning because it's covering up the real cause of why you have ed uh, it, you know, it's because it, what it does by what Viagra exactly do is that it re, uh, releases nitrous oxide um, that help relax the penis muscle. So when the penis is relaxed, that's when it gets erect because that's when the blood flows in. And when the penis muscle is relaxed, that's when you get an erection. But however, you, um, uh, how a man get an erection, even a woman as well, it starts in the brain. The brain is a larger sexual organ. All right. The first mm-hmm. step is that you have to get aroused, but you got to be stimulated by the eyes, the nose, the mouth, you know, that your taste, your hearing, and your touch. And then that sends messages to the brain in the mid area between your eyes and uh, your ears that releases uh, chemicals and messages, and then release, and then and then it ties your emotion, meaning. You know, what state, uh, emotional state are you in? Are you depressed, anxious, or are you in the mood, or you turn on? And then uh, uh, then hormones are being released in the brain that sends messages uh, to the nerve, all right, uh, in the back of your head, and then send messages to the blood vessels. The blood vessels open up, and then the muscle uh, in the penis relax and open up. So the point I'm trying to get here is that there are six steps to get an erection. But when you take Viagra, it goes straight to the muscle, which goes to step six. And you bypass step one and five. So if you take Viagra, you're essentially hijacking your erection and you're giving your erection to the pill to make it for you when you should be really using you know, the whole uh, uh, natural response to the sexual, uh, sexual response and create your own erection. Does that make sense? And next up from episode 68, we have Ed Cronin. Ed is a retired law enforcement officer who served as the police chief of a town in Massachusetts. He now works as a advocate for police reform. And here in this conversation, I ask him about why police culture evolved to where it is today and why does this concept of the thin blue line exist. One of the most frustrating and mystifying elements of police culture from the outside is this protect each other, thin blue line, we look after our own mentality. Yes. So from a police officer's perspective, what 
purpose does that culture serve and why does it exist? That's a good question. And um, I, if I was a, a PhD psychologist in the field, I don't think I could answer it accurately, but I can tell you some honest gut feelings and reactions to what your question is. Um, does that culture exist in policing today? Absolutely. Uh, where does it come from? Probably fear. Um, and a little bit about what we talked about earlier about being able to step out of the box and, you know, being your own person and not being afraid to do the right thing. And um, I think, you know, we could, we need to be doing things, you know, differently and it should start with leadership. Okay. A lot of times they talk about police reform. You'll hear a lot about it on the news and passing laws and all the, and all these type of things. But there are issues going on within policing that people are not aware of. And I can tell you right now, one of the biggest problems I confronted in my life as a police chief was substance abuse. Substance abuse, I found, was rampant in policing. Okay. Uh, I had problems with officers taking steroids. I had problems with officers taking alcohol. I had problems with officers taking drugs. And there's all kinds of programs out there that are there to help them. But like I said, in my eight years of chief of police, I never had one officer come into my office and say, I need help. It's only when they crash and burn mm. is when people come and they want to get help for the most part. And uh, before I became a police officer, um, 44 years ago, I quit drinking alcohol. I was an alcoholic and I had a very, very rough upbringing and I write about it in my book. So one of the things that kind of often scared people that worked for me was that, wait a minute, he knows what this is about. All right. So don't come in and bullshit me. All right. Um, so it's about, you know, taking your own personal responsibility and your own honor and integrity for why you took this job in the first place. And don't be a follower. I write about that in my book when I went to the police academy. You know, right away, I, I was indoctrinated into this, uh, trying to be indoctrinated into this culture where all of a sudden, you know, there was a pecking order. There was a bully in the class. There was people telling people what they could think and say. And is that still present today? Yeah, it is. And we need to have some really deep, honest conversations about that. Next up, we have a clip from episode 71 with Julian DeLeonardo and Jackie Petit-Home. They are two of the three co-founders of Liberty One Wealth Advisors in Philadelphia. And we go through a number of different conversations around investing and some more nuanced ideas about when and how someone should engage with a financial advisor. But also in the conversation was more fundamental conversation around budgeting and basic financial literacy. And that's what this clip is about. When it comes to kind of the, the basics of budgeting, controlling, spending, you know, how did you guys learn and where would you point someone who needs help kind of getting their personal finances under control? I'll say for me, I learned the hard way. I worked through college, paid through college, right? I had a ton of jobs in college. 
uh, even graduate early because I couldn't afford to uh, keep keep staying on. Right. I got it. I had to get into the workforce and, and make some money. Uh, so I tell folks there's there are th- three different places you can be. Right. You can be where your income is higher than what your bills are. Right. Your real bills, food, you know, utilities. Right. Keeping the lights on. Right. And if, if that is the case, you have to have a real honest conversation with yourself and say, OK, like, what can I cut out? Right. And um, we hear it all the time. You know, folks say, oh, stop getting that, you know, five dollar coffee every day and stop doing this or the avocado toast. Right. That's a funny thing. But um, my my <laughs> opinion is really instead of I, I call budget a, a profanity. Right. Because everyone feels restrictive. I like to call it a spending plan. Right. So if you do like that five dollar Starbucks, if that's what gets you going and keeps your day like fine, then get your five dollar Starbucks, buy your avocado toast. But then take that out of something else, right? If you if you don't watch TV all the time, you don't watch cable, cut the cable cord. Save your money so then you, when you're buying your coffee, when you're buying your avocado toast, you can feel better about it, right? Um, if you're in a place where your income is exactly what your bills are, it's a little tougher situation. I've been there. And guess what? You got to figure it out, right? Um, either find ways to increase your income or sometimes you got to find ways to lower what those expenses are, right? Um, it, that's not an easy conversation. I've had those conversations with folks together uh, before. Um, and that's just, unfortunately, the, the reality, right? You got to figure out how to sh- slim. And I tell folks, if you can save $20 a month and that's where you can start, then save $20 a month. Sometimes the building the habit of saving is more important than how much you're saving, Right. Um, and if you're in a position where what's coming in is below than what you've got to pay out, that's of course the worst place to be. And usually sometimes that's a situation where you might need to seek help from social, different types of social services until you get back on your feet. Right. Or, you know, speaking with family, working with family, living with people, you know, sometimes you have to get, uh, you know, creative, um, but you know, everyone's situation is a fingerprint, right? And there's different nuances, but, um, that is, that is of course the most difficult place to be. And you've got to figure out how to either increase the income or decrease the expenses. Um, but like I said, also, I thought a lot of folks get in, figure out what those social programs are, uh, to kind of help level the playing field. Um, you know, so like, I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but like, that's usually how we look at those three different pieces, right? If, if you're, if you know you're making well over above, but for some reason you can't find somewhere to save, I tell people, save yourself, uh, pay yourself first. When you get paid, if you have direct deposit, have it automatically deposit in the account that you can't touch, right? Um, I tell people all the time, pay yourself first because 20, 30 years from now, when you retire, visas, It's not going to come to you. American Express is not going to come to you and say, hey, listen, thanks, John. You know, you've been paying your visa bill on time for the last three months. Here's some money for retirement, right? You know, your cable bill is not going to, they're not going to say, hey, thanks for being such a loyal customer for 30 years. Here's some money for retirement. So pay yourself first because at the end of the day, you're the only person responsible for your own retirement and your own financial savings, if that makes sense. Up from October, from episode 75, we have a clip here from a conversation with Bobby Andaya. Uh, Bobby and I met out 
in the town of El Nido on the island of Palawan in the Philippines, uh, where he now lives with his beautiful family. Uh, I met Bobby out there. He is a American of Filipino descent. After a career in the military and law enforcement, decided to go back to the Philippines, the land of his heritage, and open up a number of uh, CrossFit gyms and give back to his community through fitness education. In this conversation, we were talking about avoiding the pitfalls that many men fall into, uh, specifically infidelity. And Bobby gives his thoughts about creating a structure and a lifestyle essentially to prevent exposure to those types of scenarios. Like what, what you said about, you know, why you left when we met on the island and you were saying, you know, seeing that example of like these guys going through divorces and, you know, obviously you, you keep them close to you as far as, you know, their impact on you, but you made a choice of going a different way. And I think, I think that's a choice, man, that a lot of guys, I'm sure, I'm sure both genders, but I mean, we've only ever been guys, right? So that's what we can speak to, but you know, that temptation, right? That like down the line, you know, I'm not there, but I can imagine for someone who's been married 20, 30 years, you know, in the same relationship, how do you keep it fresh? How do you stay disciplined? How do you not, you know, do something inappropriate and kind of having the willpower and the, the, what's this, like a standards or integrity, you know, to not do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's Mm -hmm. another thing that doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, it's like being, you know, on top of just like having money or, the, the physical appearance or the material possessions, but it's like, you know, being a person of integrity and, and the importance of that in our society, I think isn't really, <laughs> it should be a little higher on the priorities list. I think, you know, I, you know, I, and I, I'm going to take this out of the, the fitness realm of things. Uh, I think it's as simple as environment now. So for example, for somebody who is struggling to go to the gym per se, they're going to require a lot of willpower to get into the gym and to work out. But if the environment is conducive to them get, just getting into the gym, then the willpower could be tucked away from her for a rainy day and saved. Um, and so there's less willpower there. So same thing with the marriages. And I think same thing with, you know, 30, 40 years being with the same woman. If your environment is not conducive to you having the integrity and you're constantly flying and being surrounded by uh, X, Y, and Z, you're going to have a lot. You're going to be using all that willpower. You will not have any willpower for a rainy day. And one day you're just going to do the unthinkable to your wife or, you know, or your 30 year, white, your 40 year lifetime partner um, uh, simply because you don't have willpower and willpower is not infinite within us. So that tells me you have, if you're trying to do something well and you're trying to foresee yourself uh, being in a 50, 60 year marriage uh, or until, you know, until death do you part as in your vows, you have to have a conducive environment to that. And law enforcement is not a conducive environment. As a matter of fact, the higher that you get, at least in the federal law enforcement realm of things, the more that you travel, the more easier life is. The more you get bored, the more you have free time, and the more you have time to play around, right? Like so, um, 
that is not the more senior you get, the more money you get, you know what I mean, the more you get paid. So it's just not this conducive environment. You're doing less, you're more bored. So what do you do when you're more bored? <laughs> you keep yourself occupied, yeah, bro. Fuck around, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's so things. Exactly. It's yeah. not a conducive environment. Just not for me, at least in my perspective. And this is only my experience. And the, my experience hit me hits me strong because these this experience is very was coming from my mentors. And my mentors really meant a lot to me. Um and so I don't judge them. You know what I mean? But it is, I, I do understand my choices um, have been highly affected from the fact that I was climbing a ladder to a non-conducive environment. I didn't grow up in that style family. You know what I mean? Where, you know, uh, this, uh, you know, I, don't know, I mean, I, my dad's already almost 70 and we're not there. I don't see, I, I don't ever see it happening. You know what I mean to with my parents, but because my dad's not, you know, not in that type of environment. You know what I mean? Like he, you know, he's not on a, he doesn't have a secretary who's flying around to Europe on a, on a Wednesday and then, you know, having a bunch of diplomats take him out to the nicest clubs to have dinner and bottles of wine in the middle of the week. You know what I mean? Uh, um, you know, that's just not his environment. He's in the Bay Area. He's chilling. Lastly, from episode 77, we have a clip here from Shannon Petrovich. Shannon is a therapist with more than 30 years of experience. Uh, She runs a popular YouTube channel called Therapist Talks that shares videos on important topics of mental health. (laughs) Here in this clip, I I ask Shannon about dealing with challenging clients and how she approaches working with people who are difficult to interact with and her answer is really a great one uh, with a lot of empathy. And I'll leave that as the final uh, parting shots of the episode. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you next Friday for the latest episode of the Bro Nouveau podcast. So as a therapist, do you ever have those moments where you're like, wow, this person is is absolutely brutal. (laughs) I don't like them at all. And how do you kind of, how do you kind of still do your job if you don't like the person? That's a really interesting question. I'm going to out myself. You know, I think sometimes it is challenging. And typically what's interesting, you know, and, and when people quote to kind of circle back and include your last question, when people say 6% of the population is a narcissistic person or whatever, I think that's so ridiculous because there's really honestly no way to know because people who have narcissistic traits or personality, they simply don't think that they're in the wrong and they never come to therapy. So how would you ever count them? They don't go to the (laughs) hospital. They don't go to the therapist. There's nothing wrong with them. It's everybody else's problem. And so how in the world would you ever count that? The only way we can count how many people are depressed is because they show up for treatment, right? And so they're either showing up at a hospital or they're showing up and, you know, insurance is paying for them to go to therapy. And that's how we can count those folks. But you can't count a narcissist because they don't show up. The only time they show up is with a partner. And so I've had them, um, you know, sometimes show up in my office with a partner. And that can be really challenging. And 
But the thing is, is that as soon as you challenge them, they usually bolt and they usually say, well, she doesn't know anything and we're not going back to that one. <laughs> so it's a, it's a tricky thing to try to help them. And, uh, but once in a blue moon, you'll get somebody who kind of has some mildly to moderately narcissistic traits, but they actually want to make changes because it's messing up their lives and they know that they're screwing up relationships and maybe they actually care about somebody and want to make it work. And so sometimes those folks will show up, but I, I, I genuinely have never had anybody come and really do the work that I just couldn't stand because right, right. if they show up and they keep showing up, you know, you find endearing qualities about them. Right. So um, <laughs> sometimes there are what we call transference and countertransference, and that can be challenging where their stuff kind of triggers my stuff. And then we have this like thing and that can be really interesting oh, and challenging. Spicy. Yeah, it can get spicy, but um, <laughs> you know, back way back in grad school, my professor would say the conscious use of self, that's what you have to learn is how to consciously use your whole self. And so you're checking in with your emotions and then reflecting them. Because if you're uncomfortable with somebody, they're in their skin 24 seven, you're just with them an hour a week. So you kind of have to go, wow, must be really tough to be that person all the time. And how can I help them to find a better aspect of themselves that they would be more comfortable in 24 seven. 